generative AI is becoming a key tool for software development, and businesses are embracing it as well. This episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast brings Paul Nashawati from The Future Group, data expert Karen Lopez, and myself together to discuss how AI is impacting application development. Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic or on-premise, and sometimes on location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts to discuss a single idea. On today's episode, we're discussing the impact of uh, generative AI on application development. That's right, it's gonna transform how applications are developed and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad. That's what we're gonna talk about here. But before we get into that, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, Paul Nashawati, and I am a practice lead at the Futurum Group and focused on application development and modernization. Hi, I'm Karen Lopez. I'm based in Toronto. I'm data chick everywhere, and I like to cover all things data, and AI interests me because I want to know how it's going to impact the data we love. And I'm Stephen Foskett, um, organizer of the Tech Field Day event series uh, here within the Futurum Group as well and um, been hosting this podcast for quite a while. I also host the Utilizing AI podcast where we talk about practical applications of AI. And one of the things that keeps coming up on Utilizing AI is that AI is, you know, I don't want to sound technologically deterministic here, but AI is going to be utilized whether we want it to be utilized or not. So I guess first off, um, let's kind of set the stage with regard to application development um, Paul, what's the reality of using AI to develop applications? It's not as simple as just saying, you know, hey, chat GPT, write me an app. That's not what we're talking about. No, not at all, Stephen. And, and, and thank you for kind of leading in with that question. It's, it's an interesting kind of perspective. Uh, I think that there's a desire for a lot of organizations to, um, to grow and move, move faster, right? The, the, the number one challenge I hear from CIOs is they need to modernize. And modernization requires a number of steps and it requires a number of uh, facets in order to, do, to get there, right? So that means uh, resources, skills, uh, need, you need to have to uh, understand your existing environment, et cetera. So all the things that go along with modernization um, can slow down the, uh, the, the, the need to move those applications faster. So the promise of using a, a tool like AI really is exciting to a lot of organizations because it really helps them think, well, maybe I can get this done with fewer resources and have my skilled resources focusing in on uh, uh, higher, higher value tasks. So there's a lot of uh, desire here for this. And I imagine that when we hear about this, I think there's some, some concern, those of us who know a lot about you know, generative AI and how it works, um, Obviously, I think a lot of us are concerned, is it really developing um, the type of code that would be the right kind of code? Is it just plagiarizing code that it found on GitHub? I think there's a lot of, a lot of fear, uncertainty, doubt here. Uh, you know, Karen, what do you think of, uh, <laughs> of AI as your next software developer? So it's interesting, like you brought up so many things there, the ethics of it, where did it learn, where was it trained? You know, the GitHub stuff which was only from public uh, repositories, as far as I understand. So it was probably part of some terms of use that people agreed to to do that. My main concern about all of this is either people who bring their own AI or 
people who are using, you know, developers, data architects, people who are using third-party AI and don't realizing that uploading a bunch of requirements or source code is probably breaking their confidentiality agreements as employees. They don't even realize that. Like we've seen this already with people inviting third-party notes takers to meetings that a really confidential meeting that you would never record and put on YouTube, but people are sending those things to other AI. So I think one of the big things about using generative AI is who are you actually using? Does everyone know that? And I'd like to discuss that a little bit too. Karen, that's a really good point. I mean, I think that there's a lot of concern about public domain. Uh, putting your information in the public domain, that's a very valid point. I see that organizations in our recent research that we, we pu uh, pushed out of a 670 respondents to an, an, a global study, only 4% of organizations are using application development uh, in Gen AI uh, in their organizations because of those concerns, right? And utilizing a private LLM really helps mitigate that, but it's also understanding what, what is that actually creating. So you have to have those lear learning models and those specific places in play. That same study, we see that 27% of, of uh, organizations are considering, but they don't know. And they don't, just to your point, Karen, they don't want to take that step forward because they just don't know what the impact is going to be. And my guess is they, they're already using it. They just don't know because some of these things are free. Some of them are free because they're being used maliciously for generative AI because of people not understanding all those things. I think your average developer would probably clue in that they shouldn't be sending code to some random website that advertised to them on Facebook, I'm hoping. Um, but the real thing is, so if an organization, like a client of mine where people did sort of start using you know, public AI and talked about how it made their work go faster, but they had this learning curve to it and other devs started using it. And then management found out and told them to stop until they could implement private AI. They found out that another group had already implemented private AI. So they started using it, but eventually some of the engineers just got bogged down in how to use the prompts how to review the work that was created, and they've actually put a stop to all of it until they can figure it all out. And I wonder if you had come across any stories like that. Yeah, absolutely. So Karen, absolutely. When we when we hear about this uh, from the research, we hear about this from stories, uh, there are definitely uh, issues, security, you mentioned that compliance and regulation, of course, are all big concerns with organizations. You don't want to, you don't want to put your, your, your proprietary or your uh, you know, se you know, secure uh, information out in the in the marketplace, but not just from a code perspective. But when we're looking at this, uh, organizations are, are developing roadmaps. I think we saw recently a, a, a large uh, organization basically put their roadmap into the ChatGPT, and that roadmap became public domain, and that's very, very bad, right? Obviously, right. And that's a three to five year roadmap. Obviously, that's not what organizations want. So rules and governance need to be put in place. The correct bumpers need to be put in place. However, the tools are there. They're, again, I'm going to go back to the desire. There's a desire because the rapid application development that is occurring now and this modernization approach with microservices and containerization is happening at such a rate that organizations are trying to keep up 
with their uh, with you know with this innovative approach but doing this with the resources that they have and they're doing far more now than they were doing just a few years ago with with less resources so they have to look at tools like ai and automation in order to address these these concerns and to your point about the you know the the sort of i'm going to call it you know bring your own device bring your own ai karen um that's that really is is I think exactly the world that we live in and, and not just for software development. I mean, I think that pretty much every industry that involves text has been transformed by the impact of large language models and chat GPT. And whether it's, you know, whether you're an English teacher or a advertising exec, or I mean, a, yeah, business executive, you know, you mentioned the idea of, uh, you know, you know, let's make some slides. Let's, let's flesh out the, you know, the, the, plan, you know, the business plan here, uh, you know, or software developers. I mean, you know, it's, it's just so incredibly compelling what this stuff can do, what this stuff can output, that it's coming whether we want it or not. And it's hard to shove stuff this genie in the bottle. And I do think, like you point out, too, that in a case where, you know, this business unit or this, this group is uh, asking the hard questions about using AI, this other group is running forward at full speed to embrace it because it's just allowing them to do so much more. I, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how we can deal with that any other way than embrace it. Right. So I'm hoping that it's going to come from. So I'll mention Copilot just because I'm most familiar with it. Like one of the benefits I see with that is I'm hoping that Microsoft is, you know, dealing with the security and things leaking out of AI outside your own enterprise, because it's going to be integrated with the tools you use if you are a mostly Microsoft or Azure or Azure through Azure type client. Um, the other is the other thing I'm looking forward to, both with that them and what Google's doing with their AI is that they are likely very much dogfooding this AI technology for development, whereas other systems, you know, may or may not have that at scale. So they're probably and probably have been dogfooding it for a while in that they have lessons learned internally that will, you know, help them deal with security compliance and just the quality of the generative AI output and the fact that hopefully you know, the models have been trained on a whole bunch of things, but they'll also have access to all of our things to kind of put things in, on the right path. I'm, it's not really a technical term. Yeah, Karen, that makes sense. I think that the, I, will, I would uh, echo your comments, but I would think I would say it a little bit different. And when, what I mean by that is when be, before AI, you know, and you outsourced um, whatever you're doing, say you're working with a, a contractor, you, ha you have some type of NDA, some type of agreement, some type of statement of work in place. And that information, to your point, whatever tool you're using on, on whatever LLM you're on, whatever uh, platform you're working with, um, you know, with, with the vendor, there has to be some way of instituting those guardrails. Basically the same way if you hired a contractor and you and you have that contractor write code and they leave, they can't take the code with them, right? That, that, that's part of the job, right? So, but that's the same model here. It's like, if you're using an automated system to write code or write product or whatever it may be, there has to be that same level of, of agreement in place that that's passed over. And then once that account is signed off, there's, there's no connection to it. 
And that's the type of thing I think is, is being matured right now within organizations. Uh, I think the vendors are trying to figure this out as well, and they're maturing themselves on what the, what the rules of engagement are. Um, the public domain that's out there now uh, is, is basically just that. It's trying to understand what are the pieces that need to be put in place, right? And so to your point, yeah, you have to be really, really careful what you're putting out there because right now it's about just learning how this all works, right? But now once we kind of understand what's happening here, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, there has to be some type of rules of engagement in order to use these tools. Well, that's why I'm excited about some of the things, you know, that, that, that Karen brought up there. Some of these, um, I guess you could call them next generation tools or just, you know, some of the more advanced tools. Paul, are you seeing uh, the software ISVs, the, the solution providers coming forward with tools that basically understand these challenges and understand that, you know, you need the data to be private, you need it to be compliant with internal practices, you need it to be, um, I, I don't know, designed for this purpose. I mean, because there's a, a huge difference between saying, you know, to chat GPT, I need a function that queries databases for this and this and that, and and using like Microsoft's Copilot to do the same thing integrated with, you know, GitHub or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are very different use cases, and, and, in, and one of them is, is probably a lot better. Are we going to start seeing, well, I think we are going to start seeing just AI integrated much better instead of just relying on these public platforms? Yeah, see, that's a great point. I mean, when, when I surveyed these organizations and I try to understand what their use cases that they're trying to under, work with. So they're, they're, the organization is going back to vendors trying to understand like, hey, this is what we need to have done, right? And what they're looking at for AI adoption for app dev is 51% of respondents in the survey indicated that they're doing, they're trying to look for faster code creation, right? And, they're, and by, the, by delivering that faster code creation, um, they, they also are looking at it in the context of, is it relevant right code for what they're trying to, to deliver? That code becomes IP for that organization. So it has to be protected as we were just talking about. 45% of respondents saying they're looking to improve their existing code. So again, there's optimization and efficiencies, there's alignment there. And again, it depends on re regions and geos, right? So North America, for example, is more like 48%, where globally it's 45%. Um, when we look at generating documentation, documentation generation is key, right? And it's a great use case for something like Gen A. Uh, so 40% are saying that, but APAC is saying that that's more of a 30%. So it just, again, it depends on the, the different parts of the world and what's happening. EMEA is much more conservative. Uh, they're not using it as, as detailed as the, as the rest of the world is using it. So Stephen, to your point, the use cases are important. Organizations are going to vendors saying, this is what we want to do with this. And what are the boundaries and guardrails in place to protect what I'm asking you for? And I have a great use case too, that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Like my background is I'm primarily a dev project manager around data centric systems. So the way we've been using it on projects is to look at, I'm going to call it legacy code. I just mean production code, and it might only be a year old. Um, databases, systems, networking, to do the analysis of where are the dependency, are there design things, you know, is it, is the database slow? Like we've had tools to say what queries are taking the most time, but built into our databases now are kind of what I call dynamic 
queries where you write the query, but the database can alter it automatically and it can roll it back if it made it worse, is that we, we can focus these, the same AI that summarizes the meeting from voice can also look at your functioning systems and make recommendations, help you understand it better, evaluate it, whether it's been built to standards that you have. Like we can also use these things for the requirements and analysis of dev, not just generating code. So that those are the things that excite me. So I think, you know, we're using AI, you know, AI includes a whole lot of stuff, but even generative AI can generate things like a new and improved part of your code and that's not just deploying, you know, writing a new app. It's also just sort of the day-to-day dev stuff that we do. And I'm excited about that. Well, and that is one of the things that AI is really good at is basically exploring, you know, data and coming together with the I don't say the optimal solution, but an optimal solution mm-hmm. based on, you know, the because if you think about how this stuff really works, like the math behind it, you know, kind of uh, locating in on an optimal point is really what this whole thing is and how the entire uh, world of AI works. And so saying, you know, hey, I need to find a better query, that makes sense, right? Whereas saying, I need you to write an arbitrary subroutine that does a thing that I can't really describe adequately myself, well, that's less likely to converge on a good result, Mm -hmm. right? At least that's that would seem to be that way to me. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, and I also believe that to that, Karen, to that point, Stephen, what you were just talking about, 36% of respondents in that survey I was talking about are looking to shift skilled resources to reduce redundant tasks, right? That is an, it, it, it's efficiency, right? It's about saying, here's the, 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 you know, if you can't do it yourself uh, appropriately, can you reproduce what's already out there to make it better? Right, and that's something that uh, I think is in place. I, I also want to touch on something else you mentioned, Karen, which is the, I have 28% of respondents to this survey looking at application maturity, lifecycle, and modernization as a key factor and use case for AI. So that aligns to what you were talking about, code that's in market today, and it constantly needs to be reviewed. And the, the you know, uh, infinity loop of the CICD pipeline really helps with that kind of digestion of that code that's in market. So if it's working in place and you keep rolling it back to make sure you're testing it continuously improving, then that makes it makes for a better product moving forward. You know, Stephen, when I, when I think about the overall space, okay, and I think about the overall perspective of uh, AI and gen- generative AI and applications development, they really are faced with challenges of striking the balance between expanding on innovative solutions as well as adhering to those strict timelines and, and, and basically gap limitations that they have, right? So using tools to accelerate their own business models and meeting those business KPIs, it's really going to vary based on businesses. Like we were kind of talking about earlier prior to this call, Karen, we were talking about how that research study, I was mentioning that 24% of organizations want to release code on an hourly basis, but yet only 8% can do so. Well, that's a specific business KPI, mm-hmm. right? That's some businesses can, can afford to do that. Other businesses, clearly that's not even, that's not even attainable, right? You can't even get there from here. But using tools like automation and, and AI to take actionable insights and put those workflows in place will really help streamline that velocity. Mm-hmm. 
One of the things um, I think that, that AI is able to do as well is um, do some of those unenviable tasks in application development that people just don't love. So one of the things you, know, you mentioned before was documentation. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a feeling that it's a little less controversial to say we're going to use an AI tool to do documentation when everybody hates doing that. Um, is that another area, you know, sort of the not in the code flow? Is that another area where you think that AI is transforming AppDev? I do, yes. And according to our research, we see 40% of respondents are indicating that they want to use AI and Gen AI to generate documentation from code. So, yeah, writing, writing documentation, tech writing is a logical fit for generative AI, right? Um, I, I would say that to expand on that, um, if, and again, looking at that CICD pipeline, there are pieces through it that are incredibly challenging. Um, one of the things I've seen over trending data is testing and continuous testing. Testing is something that um, if you look at the DevOps cycle, DevOps is pushing, their, their task with their KPIs to push the code out the door, okay? They're using these tools in order to accelerate because what, what I found in my 2022 study was only 29% of organizations were doing continuous testing. But in my 2023 study, I found 66% of those organizations were doing testing because they found that putting the testing in the field and letting the clients do the testing was not the optimal way of, of delivering code. So I think to your point, using these tool sets and these, these tech stacks in order to optimize their efficiency across the CICD pipeline makes a lot of sense. And I want to see them used to generate um, reasonable test data. So one of my rants I've been on, I don't know, for five years, is that we all need to stop using production data for dev test. I know why we do it, because generating test data is hard, making it realistic is difficult, but it's a huge security area because when I'm in dev and working on a database, I pretty much get most of that customer information memorized more than anyone else would, which is usually illegal in most countries. Also, um, I think a lot of our data breaches happen because people's dev environments and test environments aren't as secure as production or because people are sharing their dev test databases all over the place. So I've used it lightly, not for test data, but demo data. So I can take some data, I can ask generative AI to, to you know, create a random list of what look like addresses based on these, you know, 20 street names and number ranges and everything. So I think we might even have fewer data breaches if we can generate reasonable, usable test data at scale. And I don't even know if anyone's talking about doing that. I would love to do that. Yeah, that's actually a great idea because, um, you know, again, these are some of the things that AI is good at. Yeah. It's good at saying, here's a, here's a data set, make me another data set that is bogus, but yeah. also legit-ish, uh, truthy. Well, based on, and like, then let me run that through. Yeah, I want to point it to a database design and I have a customer table. Go generate. Now, what I don't know if I'm using public AI, if it is literally just replicating customer data it found on somebody's website. So that's the scary part. But if I could do it in private where it doesn't have access to data I don't have, and I'm not pointing it at production data, but giving things, you know, guardrails about, you know, names should be no longer than this, but they should look like, oh, and the other thing I want in real test data is I want it to be culturally diverse and language diverse and all of those things, because that's the other side 
problem of using production data is it's often not diverse enough to truly test your systems. That's that's a really clever angle there, and I, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I'll bring in here, I guess, as we close, uh, we're going to be at AI Field Day this week. Uh, we're hearing from a bunch of different companies talking about data pipelines. Uh, one of the companies that's coming is going to be is Click, who are talking about how to integrate real corporate data with AI uh, applications. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another thing that is incredibly powerful. We're so used to thinking of generative AI as being the whole box, but it's not. It's just the interface. And if we have actual data behind it and the generative AI is querying that data and bringing in that data, it fixes a lot of, I think, a lot of the problems that people have with hallucinations and copyright and privacy and so on, yeah. because you know, again, it's private AI, but it's also private AI that is supported by actual corporate data. And so I think it's important for us to kind of let people know that, you know, the horror stories about, you know, people using generative AI to make up nonsense answers are those are true. But that isn't really reflective of the reality of AI in 2024 and certainly not reflective of the reality of AI in 2025 and onward. You know, I mean, it's, it's just not going to be like that. So thank you guys so much for joining us for this. And thank you for coming to AI Field Day. Those of you who are listening to this, this is just a taste of the kind of conversations that we have at Tech Field Day. Uh, this is why we love coming, why I love coming, and why people keep coming back to Field Day. I do hope that you'll be able to join us, uh, at least for the public parts of Field Day. Uh, head over to techfieldday.com, look at the Tech Field Day page on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll be able to see the AI Field Day presentations. Also, those are going to be recorded and posted on the Tech Field Day YouTube channel. Uh, before we go, uh, where can we continue this conversation, Karen? You can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky and Instagram and threads as Data Chick. And I also write about data and data security on LinkedIn newsletters and articles. And Paul, um, welcome to the Field Day family. Uh, where can people read more and connect more and learn more? Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, for sure, or X uh, these days. Um, and and now I'm, uh, I'm part of the Futurum group. So you can find my uh, information, my research notes, and my analyst insights. That's on uh, open, ungated at on the Futurum group's website at futurumgroup.com. And as for me, uh, you'll find me here every Monday with uh, Utilizing AI episodes, uh, every Tuesday with uh, On-Premise, every Wednesday with uh, the rundown, and of course, at AI Field Day and other Field Day events besides. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe. You'll find us in your favorite podcast applications, and we would love a rating or a review. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Futurum Group. Uh, Gestalt IT is part of that now as well. Uh, for more coverage and uh, more episodes, please check out our uh, website, gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next Tuesday. Bye.